and welcome to the Mediocre Photography Show. My name's Ben. And my name's Jack. And today we're going to be talking about, well, lots of things really. We're going to be talking about some uh, current affairs stuff that's in the news, uh, Olympus, and uh, also some uh, things that have been going on with uh, Vogue magazine as well. But before we do any of that, I would like to uh, welcome anybody that may be listening to us from our new listening platforms. Uh, before this, we were only on YouTube, but uh, recently we are now on uh, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Spotify. So if you have found us from uh, anything like that, uh, then welcome. We are still working through like a little bit of kinks with show notes and bits and pieces like that, so bear with us. But uh, all of the main info is going to be on our YouTube channel, which is uh, the Mediocre Photography Show. So uh, do go and find us there. I think after that shameless plug of self-promotion is over, uh, let's move on to the photo conversations. And uh, Jack, I think it's your turn to go first this week. It is indeed. This photo conversation's word was isolation. And uh, I have to say, we were both a bit gutted about that, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, it was a, in fact, it was a much more difficult word than I thought it would be. I think you you might have been in the same boat as me because I, I, when I thought of isolation, I thought, what can I do that's not already been done? Yeah. Yeah, I was pretty much in the same situation as that. You know, I was trying to be very uh, original with it, but it didn't work particularly great, if I'm honest. But well, yeah, let's talk about yours first. We'll come I, on to I will mine. I go first. Well, apart from that blip that was me thinking about originality, I thought about isolation in sort of a alone, solitary confinement sort of way. And more specifically, obviously, isolation has trapped people in different ways. But for me personally, it was sort of, I, I got trapped in a routine. I'd go to work, I'd come home, I'd sleep, I'd go to work and so on. And so, um, you know, I wanted this picture to sort of give that feeling of entrapment and sort of trying to escape, right? And so I was going to have a picture of me on my bed and I was going to have a sort of another figure in the picture. Mm -hmm. So I was going to have like a second picture and sort of edit them together of me peering around the door of my bedroom. Right. And I thought, I well, I, I sort of visualized it in my head and it looked more like a meme than anything in my own head. So I thought... Like the just, um, the uh, trust nobody, not even yourself meme, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> sort of something like that. I think subconsciously so I, you were there, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> but I thought, you know, that would add to the sort of being alone, but like with your own thoughts sort of vibe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I kept it simple and just, well, I just put myself on my own bed and just messed around with poses and stuff like that. So this is the end product. First of all, let me just say, I hate this picture. Okay. Well, actually, 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 hold on. I, I don't hate this picture. I hate myself for allowing me to take it. So the, <laughs> the first thing you might have noticed is I don't have any trousers on. Uh, that is the first thing that I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Call me a pervert, but... I, I decided to take them off because I was sat there and I was sort of, well, I obviously had shorts on as I normally do, but over the last couple of days I'd had like quite constant negative thoughts about how I looked, sort of that being trapped in your own body, you know, it, 
again played into the whole entrapment and isolation mm. um, sort of feel of the image. I also obviously think that clothes would have been no clothes would have been better well was better suited for this image i think taking on board your advice from two weeks ago you know i really need to decide when to wear clothes or when not to wear clothes to sort of improve the image i had an idea of a harsh light i wanted some sort of harsh light um uh to sort of highlight my body and uh sort of represent like an escape like the light at the end of the tunnel mm. um and obviously I wanted to create sort of another figure. So I thought a shadow was a good way to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, some, some things I liked about the photo. Uh, I, again, the subtleness of the meaning. I think with these images, they're all very personal. So I think that's just going to be a reoccurring, mm. you know, like that I uh, have with my images. The depressing atmosphere. It's got more of a personal atmosphere or personal feeling to the image um i think just due to the sort of again the simplicity the simplicity mainly for this one the emptiness one of the my favorite parts of the image actually is the empty shelf mm. um i sort of get that sort of feeling of like to live for as you've got like nothing on the shelves uh i also like the shadow figure i think that worked quite well um mm. i also like how it it sort of looks like a different image it, mm. it doesn't, it feels a bit unnerving, like that you can't see my arm where I'm actually running my hand through my hair. You know, it's it's shadowed on the wall. Yeah, I really like that, and that worked quite well. And also, you know, how the shadows fell on my front or my side, mm. and the tones, the overall tones of the image worked quite well. If I were to reshoot this, which I, had, I genuinely think I might, because I, I obviously I left this till the last minute because I had no idea, but I actually like this photo. <laughs> But for me, it's it's my foot. I don't know whether you can tell, but yeah, my I did foot. Notice. Yeah. Oh my god. Man, fetishists I, are gonna have a field day with this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wouldn't. Yeah, that's right. We're objectifying men on this show now. <laughs> you know, I changed the placement of my foot. I think that I was mainly concentrated on getting this the shadow right. That I just like completely forgot how to sit properly, mm-hmm. and so um. Yeah, I think that's one thing I'd changed. And uh, another dislike is that, that I'm in it. <laughs> but apart from that, it works with my other images. And it it feels, <laughs> in a weird way, it feels good to get my first nude out of the way. Hopefully more to come. <laughs> no. Um... Well, it, it won't until a word comes up. And hopefully the next word won't be nude because that would be outrageous. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I completely agree with the analysis of the photo. Um, yeah, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head with everything that you said there. It's quite difficult for me to add uh, add something more to it. It works well within sort of the narrative of the word. It works well within the sort of the general thematic approach of it. Um, the only thing that I would say, and you're going to hate me for saying it, is I don't think that the nude works well in this photo. No, you're kidding me. (laughs) You think I should have been wearing shorts? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, And the reason for that is to do with, again, how the consistency of the sequence works. And it goes very much from, you know, uh, close, 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 close. And in some of them, close, and it's very obvious that it's close. And then it goes into, oh, one random photo. Now, 
if this is the start of a sequence or a series of images where the nude continues throughout, then yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that that's going to be something definitely to work with. And it also is going to work with how we uh, sequence these photos sort of in the end as well. I don't think it would necessarily be a good idea to sequence these chronologically, you know, have it as word one, word two, word three. Um, So my answer to this is certainly going to change if more photos like this are going to be produced. Um, However, as a standalone, and if this is the only one that you take in this sort of series, it's not going to work and it will definitely stand out for that reason. Yeah, I think I think that it is, well, obviously I wouldn't know I've taken one of them, but I'm guessing it's sort of a confidence thing because I was, I was home alone and that's the only reason I got naked. <laughs> and even when Jack's in a shower, he showers in swimming trunks. I shower way. in shorts. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's definitely uh, a barrier that you have to break yourself i absolutely love the arm um and the shadow and you touched on that already i think that was a really 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 good decision to make uh it adds that almost kind of schizophrenic feeling that you get with um the work the other reason that i like it which i'm going to touch on a little bit more when i show you my photo uh in a second um but yeah no i think that this is definitely a really really strong photo um i can't add a huge amount to it Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it works in the series. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what other work you produce uh, alongside this as well. Um, So, yeah, no, good stuff. Well done. Cool. Right. So uh, anything else to add before we move on to my one? No. Brilliant. So um, my throat is dying. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about my photo Um, and my photo Uh, I also decided to look at the repetitiveness of isolation and I also decided to talk about my routine and I also decided that I was going to photograph in my bedroom and I also decided that I was going to use multiple figures in order to represent the routine. No f***ing way. And I also decided that it was going to be in black and white. Uh, so here's my photo. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so I've gone uh, a little bit more surreal than you have in your image. I've gone uh, as far as tonal is concerned, significantly darker as well. Um, and I literally did this by putting the camera on the tripod, uh, getting a flash unit with a remote trigger and just trying to light my room in different ways to sort of show how I interact with it in different locations. And there's actually about 10 photos. I think there's 10 or 12 different poses that I used here, but numbers of them got cut for various reasons, you know, just whether they were overlapping too much or it felt a little bit too busy. But um, there are certainly one, two... This This is like, where's Wally? Uh, <laughs> I know where they are, but there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven yeah, of I me. Yeah, I can count five. Yeah. Um, so it's 
a very very similar narrative it's a very very uh similar image as far as uh thematics are concerned i personally really don't like it i don't like the um sort of style of it i think it's very it's too busy it's too a level um honestly i kind of did this in a rush and i've you know, I did spend a fair amount of time taking the photos and editing them and reshooting and trying to work out what, how I could improve it. And when I was doing that, I was like, Ben, you're coming across this in completely the wrong way. And you may have noticed that I sent you two photos. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the other I one... I thought that was by accident, by the way. No, no, Sorry. No, no. The, uh, the other one is the first photo that I took when lockdown started. And I realized that no one's actually yet seen this photo uh, as far as the, you know, you, the lovely viewer, is concerned. Um, and I thought, well, this is perfectly fitting that this, for me, represents isolation in a huge way. You've got, again, I'm a real big fan of it at the moment, but you've got the, um, like, the wood hut, you know, that little Cub Scouts make. Oh, yeah, yeah, You've yeah. got these giant, great big beech trees, but they're very distanced apart. You've got this huge expanse of emptiness in the foreground. And it perfectly sums up what isolation is to me. You know, you feel like you're in this tiny, fragile little hut surrounded by these great, huge, big things that you can't really control and don't have all that much control over. And you're doing your best to, you know keep swimming and stay alive um and it was only by sheer coincidence that i was like wait i'm coming across this the wrong way what's the first photo i took and i went back and i was like ah this is amazing this is it so there you are i have the failed attempt which i felt like i should show because you know i wanted to just not be seen as a cop out because i've definitely jumped into my archive this isn't the first time i've jumped into my archives when i haven't come up with an idea for a photo <clears throat> whoops um uh, <laughs> um and show that i did actually try but it didn't really work for whatever reason and yeah i could have just gone out and taken a photo of a path again but you know where's the fun in it's that? been done before many times many times um well i think you're right with the um with your self-portrait. I'm going to call it a self-portrait, Ben. You are yep. now a self-portrait photographer. Yeah, well, I thought that you've been doing it for so long that I should play catch-up by photographing myself eight times in the same <laughs> shot. <laughs> well, no, I not think, not I think... to be outdone, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think you're right. It, it, there's too much happening. Yeah. Um, Especially with, like, the one on in the middle. I think that just draws my attention straight away yeah yeah definitely um i was meant to be playing playstation with that one but you can't even see the controller um i think i tried kneeling on the other side of the bed but it just looked really unnatural (laughs) (laughs) but um um, yeah no I, i i like the idea but i am obviously one for archives and old photos and you know reasons for using them mm-hmm. but i um i think this is a really yeah as you say like a really a good representation of isolation and ironically it's like you just said about the distance between the trees you know you've got that social distancing sort yeah. of 
irony there. <laughs> yeah, as exactly. Well. Yeah. But um, weirdly, I the one on the right was a bit lighter. I don't know whether they could work together. Maybe. Um, the only other reason that I don't like both of these photos is because they're both in black and white and up until this point I've shot it all in colour however I do know that location I can go back there and reshoot it in colour if we you know do ever sort of do a bit of a reshooting project with it so um, there is the potential there to work with it but I absolutely love this shot in black and white man I really do it's glorious imagine it being blown up big yeah exactly like it's proper like um it's almost a little bit Hamish Fulton, I think, um, without, you know, playing my trumpet too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, so those are the uh, photo conversations for this week. Um, Jack, I think it's time that we choose a new word. Right. You ready? I am born ready. <laughs> the word is faithful. Faithful? You like? Yeah, I could work with faithful. It's a bit of a positive one. Yeah. We've had a couple of negative words. We've had all but negative. I mean, Jack, you, <laughs> let's be honest, you'll find a way of turning this negative. I will. There's I no will. there's no denying that whatsoever. Yeah, my my brain will like roll a deck to something. Yeah, yeah. You'll yeah. be like, oh, do you remember that one time that she wasn't faithful to me? <laughs> Here's a photo of me sat sad on my bed. Crying, yeah. While I contemplate this thing that happened five years ago. And of course, for some more shameless plugging, if you want to get involved with the photo conversation, then uh, do feel free to hashtag any entries with the hashtag a mediocre conversation, and you do have the chance to be featured on the show. Uh, and Jack and I will discuss your work, and it will be all fantastic for everybody. On with the show. On with the show. On with the show. And we've got a bit of a news-based show for you guys this week. Um, There's been quite a few things that have been happening in the world of photography. And um, the first one that we're going to talk about is uh, a little bit off-kilter for us as we generally try and avoid sort of more camera talk uh, and focus more in on photography talk. But that is the fact that Olympus has decided to close the commercial camera wing of their business. And this is a very interesting um, conversation for us. It's been quite widely reported in the industry, so I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail as to how this has happened. And there are plenty of videos out there and plenty of articles that I'll link to in the description on... uh, the situation surrounding it but I wanted to give my opinion on why this has happened and this is coming from somebody who's both uh, worked in the industry as well as somebody who uh, is a consumer of cameras as well. I make That makes it sound I hate that word consumer, it makes it sound like I eat them uh, <laughs> I mean, to be fair not far off but no. um, yeah so there, I, I, I have thoughts on this. And I think that the biggest nail in Olympus's coffin was very much to do with where they positioned themselves in the market. And they wanted to see themselves as the uh, camera for the influencer. Now, there's a bit of a problem with that. The first one is that cameras aren't still set up to work very well for the influencer. 
a great example of this is how quickly it takes me to take a photo on my phone and put it up on Instagram. S literally seconds. However, in order to do the same thing using my camera and the Wi-Fi functionality, which involves turning the camera on, taking a photo, turning the Wi-Fi on on the camera, turning the Wi-Fi on the phone, waiting for it to pair, opening up the camera app, downloading it from the camera onto the phone, opening up the photo gallery app and then uploading it to Instagram that way. I tell myself it took about three minutes. And people can't be asked <laughs> to do that. I can't believe you actually do that. Sorry. I cannot believe you genuinely tried that. For science. Science, yeah. It's a complicated mess. It was a very complicated... My life is a complicated mess. Yeah. Um, but, you know, manufacturers are trying to work around this and they've got Bluetooth connectivity now, but it's still not great. And, I, you know, I remember the first iteration of Snapbridge that came out, which was Nikon's solution to this, and it just refused to work. It was the most janky thing ever. Um... And then we talking talking slightly more in this conversation of technical issues and technical things that Olympus ran through. The quality of the cameras are fine, and I'm not going to go into the intricacies of which camera is better than what camera because who cares. But one of the things that I will mention is the menu system that Olympus stuck with absolutely heinously until 2017, and the menu system on their cameras are universally hated. And some camera menu systems are. Take Sony, for example. Again, a really, really complicated menu system of a camera. But the difference is that Sony markets themselves to the professional, and they market themselves very much to the, ah, oh, the techie know-it-all kids on the block. Whereas Olympus, they have a com more complicated menu system than Sony and they're market marketing themselves to people that are used to using iPhones. And say what you will about Apple, but their user interfaces have always been bloody brilliant. So you have that issue as well. And then we move on to the next issue, which is the fact that phones are getting better and cameras are, generally speaking, for the entry-level price tags or the medium-level price tag are staying the same. Now, again, we can get into this big debate of, oh, well, Herder, you know, cameras are still going to be better than phones, and I completely agree with you. I, For me personally, as somebody that knows the first thing about photography, my phone is never going to come close to my camera, and I've got a camera phone with one of the best cameras on the market, or arguably, and it doesn't even touch it. Uh, what my camera camera is capable of. But this is the problem, that if you're putting your photo straight up on Instagram and social media, nobody cares. They are so used to seeing the fake bokehs that you get already, they're so used to seeing the over overly saturated tones, they're so used to seeing everything that a phone camera produces, and the fact that Instagram compresses the absolute living hell out of anything that it puts up on its servers anyway, just... The camera doesn't really have a place in that market, and especially when you're having to jump through all these hoops in order to work out how the system works in the first place and get it off the camera onto the phone so you can upload it to Instagram uh, like that. My recommendation for people who may be, you know, owning a successful camera company who are 
coming to this podcast to listen to some advice on where they should go next is how can we avoid the slippery slope that Olympus fell down? How can we bridge the gap between the camera and the phone? And I honestly think, first of all, I should say is that this is the key to success. The first manufacturer that can successfully bridge the gap between the camera and the phone are safe. So here's my solution. Instead of trying to make your cameras more like phones, what you need to do is make your phones more like cameras. There's a funny joke which I heard which sums this up quite well. So a daughter is being taught by her mum how to make a Sunday roast. And uh, when they're preparing the meat, the mum says, and the very important thing you need to do is cut the end off the meat. And the daughter goes, well, why is that? And the mum says, well, it's just the way that it's always been done. You cut the end off the meat. The daughter was like, well, who told you that? And she went, well, this is it's the way I was taught. So it, it, it was your grandmother that told me that. And so not satisfied with the answer, the daughter went to the grandmother and asked the grandmother how to make a roast. And the grandmother said, and when you prepare the meat, you cut the end off. And the daughter queried it and she said, well, why do you cut the end off the meat? And the grandmother said, well, if you don't cut the end off the meat, then it makes the meat very dry and very, you know, rubbery and it tastes awful. And the daughter said, well, who told you that? And the grandmother said, well, it was my mother. It was your great grandmother. And so still not satisfied with this answer, the daughter goes to the great grandmother and asks her how to prepare a roast. And the great grandmother says, and you must remember the important thing of chopping the end off the meat. And the daughter says, well, why do you do that? I don't understand. No one's been able to answer this question. And the great grandmother said, well, well, darling, it's very simple. My roasting pan just wasn't big enough. <laughs> um, I know, terrible joke. And but... what's that got to do with photography? Well, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, camera manufacturers have been stuck in yesteryear for a very, very, very long time. They have the box model of what a camera should be, and especially an interchangeable lens system. And if you look at how a camera has aged over the years it's not a million miles away if you take a pentax k1000 from the 1970s and the 5d mark IV from yesterday compare them and they still look very much like the same camera and this is because that uh ritual has been passed down from generation to generation to generation like the mother teaching the daughter to cut the end off the meat but the problem is that roasting pans have gotten bigger and technology has gotten better. And we can't force ourselves to be thinking inside the box like that anymore. And there are simple, simple solutions to this. For example, stop putting fucking three inch LED screens on the back of your goddamn cameras. Put a 10 inch screen like every other system that has a screen interacts with, okay? And while you're at it, why don't you put on cellular? Just Put on some data signals. You know, it requires a cheap SIM-only SIM card. You don't even have to put a physical SIM card slot in there. Virtual SIM cards exist now. You know, hell, camera retailers could sell the SIM-only deals. They're set up with finance and credit options as it is. And guess what you're going to then use those SIM cards to put on? Oh, hmm, maybe social media? Like mm -hmm. perhaps Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook and integrate those in? And this could be either way. You could you get a stripped down version of Android to do this, or you could just make your own operating system completely from scratch. 
but there needs to be an option for you to use your camera and upload it straight from the app. You can't be relying mm. on two systems to do this anymore. Well, you can you can do it with printers, can't you? You can print straight from the... Yeah, but it's the same problem, Jack. Yeah. That you're taking your camera and you're having to get that photo off the camera and do something else with it. Oh, right. It okay. needs so to be integrated to be, on one system. It needs to be easier. Exactly. And you can have this camera as an interchangeable lens camera with a really, really thin pancake lens on it, micro four thirds sensor, that'll be fine. Or you can have it more as a compact camera. But you need to integrate it more to how a phone works. And the next thing you need to do is you need to advertise hard and you need to advertise dirty. And you need to show what it's actually like to shoot on a phone camera. And that's the color issues when you zoom in. That's the rolling shutters. That's the grain that you get. It's the blown out skies. It's uh, the digital zoom. It's everything. And you need to make goddamn sure that when you produce the color science in your new camera phone hybrid, it saturates and it pops and it looks like what Apple's doing. And this is going to be the hard bit is convincing people that there's still a space in the market for this because we've been conditioned over the last 10 years that the camera phone is good enough. But in reality, you know, you can print out two photos, even now, one that's taken on the phone, one that's taken on the camera, and 90% of the population will be able to go, oh, I can tell a difference. Hmm. They just, they need to have it shown in front of them, first of all. And this is the thing that really, really annoys me the most, is that this is not a new idea. Samsung was doing this in 2015. They had phones and cameras which were very much combined, and they had it you know, they had cellular chips, it had the ability to upload straight away. And there are also camera companies in China that are doing this as well. But the issue is that they still performed too much like cameras, they still had too much camera DNA in them and not enough phone DNA in them. That is what the users want. And if there's any CEOs out there who are listening, that's the only way that I think you're going to be able to stay afloat. Sign them up. Mm. And I'll tell you what, I won't even charge a consultancy fee. You'll have to get sending your uh, CV around. Yeah, exactly. But um, so because then also also a lot of phones they're fairly simple to use as well. Yeah, exactly. So you're gonna get you're Don't... gonna get new people coming into the sort of yeah. the photographic industry industry. Hundred percent. Yeah, and this is the thing that manufacturers have been doing this, and they've been putting intelligent mm. automatic on all of their systems, and that's absolutely fine. But. And I'm not saying, you know, get rid of those manual controls altogether. Have it still that it can behave like a camera, but you need to completely just redesign how the user interface works with it. Don't be scared of big screens. People have had big screens for a very, very long time. And I just don't understand why manufacturers are stuck in this rut of putting 3.2 inch LED screens on all of their cameras. And this is the other thing as well. It, is would, it would be, on that point, it would be nice to see more of the photo, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. And as far as screen quality is concerned, this is another major, major thing. It Everybody knows that when you look at a photo on your tiny little three-inch panel, it looks absolutely nothing like when you look at it on a computer monitor. Mm. And yet camera manufacturers are still absolutely adamant on putting the lowest resolution screens that they possibly can, not just as far as size is concerned, but also pixel density as well, which means that A, it looks 
blotchy and grainy and horrible, even if it actually looks fine on a decent panel. And B, it means that you can't see it in anything brighter than an overcast day because the screens just aren't powerful enough yeah. to see anything. So, I, I, and again, it's this absolute affliction and hatred of OLED screens. OLED technology is so much cheaper than it once was. And yeah, you know, I'm not saying, oh, we should all have, be having 47-inch panel OLED panels in our back pockets. That's not what I'm saying. But a 6-inch OLED screen or even what uh, Canon even what apple's doing with um uh liquid lcd technology mm. you need to invest more in the screen quality because people don't really care what it looks like on a monitor because that's not how they're viewing the majority of their no, photos because they're putting or, it straight up aren't they exactly well they want to put it straight up yeah. onto anyway enough of that shall we move on to the next one yeah next on the list is uh the vogue and annie Leibovitz drama Yes. Oh, we love drama. Yay. Indeed. Right, so uh, for people who don't know, um, Annie Leibovitz, the world famous, world famous? Yeah. Very famous. Very famous. Very famous In photographer. Super, is... like, I didn't know this actually until I researched it. Did you know that she was the person that took that really famous photo of John Lennon and Yoko Ono two hours before he was shot? Yeah. Yeah. I, I literally found that out when I was doing research for this. Yeah mad cool so, anyway continue you know, so yeah super well, famous that's, that's super famous to start you know she takes great photos very memorable photos and she's taken another one <laughs> a very <laughs> but just not for the right reasons um she's in a bit of hot water with vogue uh a magazine she works for and um her cover of uh, simone i'm gonna butcher this biles or Beals? yeah i think it's biles biles who is a um, the third most decorated gymnast in the world and the most decorated American gymnast ever. And so, I, you know, Ben, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wow, these covers have got to be absolutely brilliant. They're so they've got you know such a inspirational woman at the age of 23. You know, they've got to be brilliant, haven't they? I don't know. Have they? They have not. Um, have you got the photos there? Uh, I have seen them quite a lot, so I know from my mind's eye. Um, yeah, she's in a lot of hot water because she has uh, completely butchered the photo shoot of Simone Biles, and um, there's a lot of people saying that she doesn't. She's misunderstood the model. She doesn't know how to work with uh, black subjects. Can I just interrupt you here? Yes. Why do you think the photos were bad, in your opinion? In my was opinion. Was it the content? Was it the lighting? Was it the narrative? What was it about the photos that you didn't like? Well, you know, uh, uh, do you know the Annie Leibovitz, the, the ones she took of the Queen? Yeah. The amazing photos. Like, she uses, like, the back the background really well in, like, telling the the story of the subject and in these i know it's a it's it's a cover so you haven't got that much space and that much room but you're expecting one of the top portrait photographers ever to take a better photo than that and i think that not only was it you know it was i I think people were complaining and i think i sort of agree with it was the lighting of uh and and the editing uh that has on the cover I'm looking at at the minute is um 
it's it's matted her skin rather than sort of making it glow and making it pop you know like and but there's one that's even worse um inside it where uh simone biles has got her hands on her hips and she's looking down and there's just nothing it seems lazy like she hasn't done anything to it and i think that that has just aggravated people to a point where they're they're genuinely like having a go at not not so much vogue but having a go at annie Leibovitz, who i didn't realize has a master class you know the master class things yeah nobody's watching that anymore are they it's it's just a shame because I'm guessing, I, I don't know, I've never been on Vogue and I doubt I ever will be, but I'm guessing to get on the cover of Vogue is a sort of dream of some people's. And to have such an inspirational person as Simone Biles on there, it must be absolutely devastating that the people that look up to her are not thinking about, you know, oh how inspirational and powerful and great she looks on the cover and throughout the magazine. We're talking about the the photographer and how oh, such a poor job that she's done I disagree okay what do you I'm going to tell you why I disagree on a couple of points that you've made but also why I agree with the overall point that this is ultimately a negative thing and there are a few questions that when I was sort of researching the story and looking at the photos, there are a few questions that I asked myself. The first one was, what was this intentional? Uh, the second one was, um, should it have been a black photographer that took it? And I know that we're going to talk about mm. um, Vanity Fair a little bit later on as well, if we have the time. And the third question was overarching, you know, what's this doing for the stigma what's this doing for the uh the narrative of the industry with regards to both black models and black photographers so first of all i went into the dells of history and i wanted to look at representation of both black photographers and black models in the industry And I found, surprise, surprise, that they are grossly uh, underrepresented. Um, I didn't do a huge amount of research into this, but I took uh, quite current uh, context. Uh, The first thing that I looked at was the most recent BJP, uh, which at the time of recording was the May 2020 edition, which only featured two black photographers uh, among 20 or so uh, white photographers. Uh, and then the next thing that I looked at was actually Magnum and uh, the photographers in there. And uh, I may be wrong on this because I, I will admit that I didn't like click on every individual profile and go through. But I believe that there are actually only three black photographers that have been sort of elevated to Magnum status, all of whom were male. So no female black Magnum photographers. And I admit that this isn't the largest data set, but uh, for the brief argument that I'm making on this it's fine so we establish that and then we establish as well quite easily that uh, black people were underrepresented throughout the history of photography and there are a couple of different case studies that I looked at for that Uh, first of all looking at photography in the 19th century uh, black people were very much seen as second-class citizens and therefore they struggled to afford um, photos 
uh, and you know sort of going into the photo studios in in, in the same way that uh, middle class white people did. The other thing was the narrative of, uh, and I use this in very extreme inverted commas, the other, uh, was not a popular exploration of narrative at that time. Um, it was only kind of in the 20th century, the 40s, 50s and 60s that we started looking at the other as a representation in photography. And even then there were issues with that. But again, that's a different topic for a different time. Um, I looked at uh, a scholar called Catherine Reagan, who was, spent quite a lot of time studying uh, representation of African-Americans in photography. And uh, the sort of the images that came across were interesting, not really because of what they did show, but what they didn't show. And uh, she was quite critical of the photos that were taken in this archive, effectively. And so 19th century, not great. 20th century, gets worse. Um, ever come across Shirley's cards? Yes. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that may not be aware, Shirley's cards were used in colour darkrooms to ensure that skin tones were correct. Uh, so it was literally a picture of a model called Shirley. Um, and you would make sure that you weren't too green or too yellow or too magenta or whatever. Uh, however, it wasn't until the 1990s that they produced a black Shirley. Uh, up until then, it was um, white Shirleys. And even today, when you actually look at the colour science, and there are a couple of reasons for that, it struggles to work with darker skin tones. Um, and there's a reason for this, which is effectively what's called the Caucasian factor which is that because it's majoritively white people that code these algorithms, they don't sort of take into account those data sets. And when they're sort of teaching computers how to recognize skin tones, they struggle with that as well. Um, and so this leads to a further misrepresentation of black people in photography. Uh, so we've established that. So getting back to the topic at hand after a, a, a tangent on this, uh, did Leibowitz do a good job on this cover? No, I definitely don't think she did. Um, however, I want to take the argument at a slightly different angle, which is, was the photos intentional? Is it true that Annie Leibowitz, as the great photographer that she is, doesn't understand how to light somebody with darker skin tones? I just can't buy that. Well, if you, I think uh, this is what I was going to come to. She's, well, she did Kanye West for Vogue, I think. Yep, she's photographed Beyonce. This isn't the first time no, she she's... Did, did she photograph yeah, Beyonce? Yeah, she's done Beyonce. I thought that was Tyler Mitchell last year. No, that's the... it, it wasn't a Vogue cover, but she's definitely oh, right, yeah. photographed Beyonce. So why has she done that then? Because, I don't know, the photo I'm looking at, I know it's like that she's she's very conceptual with like her imagery and stuff like that but this it doesn't seem like she's done anything so the reason that i think that this has happened is potentially for a few reasons leibovitz's tone has always been very muted and very soft and um i think that perhaps that doesn't um come across that uh, lighting in the most flattering way in some situations. Secondly, um, she wanted to, I, I think that she did want to show Biles as a strong athlete 
and this is one of the criticisms that I heard quite a lot, which was this would be a great cover for Sports Illustrated, but not for Vogue. Um, and, you know, it's sort of showing a, a criticism that I got was that she was showing bars in a very masculine way. Um, and let's come back to that later. However, I think the reason that this didn't work well is because there's no context to the images and that's the reason that it fell down i have a really 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 hard time believing that this was down to again inverted commas a technical issue or you know Leibovitz didn't understand how the lighting worked i just can't buy that from somebody of her experience you know i i i do think that these were intentional photos but because there was no statement being issued of I was trying to um, show her in this light I was trying to create this narrative with her I was trying to make her look like this I was trying to make her look like that mm. and because there was no dialogue literal dialogue between the um, model and the artist it adds to that controversy and it kind of buries the truth a little bit deeper there. It then further adds to this issue of, well, you know, black people are misrepresented in photography. Black models are misrepresented. And I know she's not a model, but I'm using using hmm. it as, you know, the fact that she was on the cover of Vogue. But they are misrepresented in that as well. And so you, when you're working with that, you need to make bloody sure that your work is safe and it's PC and you're not trying to be experimental and you're not trying to be, you know, a bit risque with what you're doing without issuing a statement alongside it saying, well, you know, this is what I was trying to do. Mm. Um, and then the final point that I wanted to make with this was begging the question of, should it have been a black photographer that took this image? And the reason that this kind of ends up in the debate is that um, a couple of weeks after this cover launched, um, Vanity Fair, uh, I think, boasted is quite what they were trying to do, oh, but it yeah. didn't did you, come off cross as a boast. Did you see their um, Twitter? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And they were like, oh, yeah, this is good to know. This is the first black photographer that's ever been featured on our cover. And it's like, this isn't something you don't something need to say that, yeah. There was apparently a paragraph in the... And I, I get how important, like, it is. But it was a whole paragraph by, I think, the editor saying about, you know, the photographer and how he was the first black photographer for Vanity, Vanity Fair. But again, yeah, it it doesn't... You know, you can't boast that after being around for like, I don't know how long they've been around. 100 like years. 100 years. Yeah. Well, there you go. You can't boast that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just quickly, just because the name is escaping me. Oh, uh, Dario. It's uh, Dario Camisi. Cal yeah, Calmesse um, or Calmesi. Yeah. But true. Great fun. Yeah, sorry, Dario, if you're listening. Um, so, yeah, so I, I did want to touch on that tangent just yet, but... Um, should it have been a black photographer that took this image? Absolutely, categorically not. No. Because it adds to a third wave of segregation that is created and it adds to a really negative narrative, which mm. is only black photographers can take photos of black models. 
only white photographers can take photos of white models. And that is a massive, massive step in the wrong direction. And the reason that people are scared of talking about it is because it's a taboo subject still. And, you know, speaking from personal experience, if I was asked to do a studio shoot with somebody and uh, the model had darker skin, I wouldn't know how to light it, right? And that comes from ignorance of my part. But this is the thing, that there needs to be more open discussion on A, why that is, uh, B, how we can do it properly, and C, what the model actually wants to get out of the shoot. What stereotype do they want to Mm. be either enforcing or creating? And that is completely up to the model and completely up to the context of the photograph. And the reason that this is a debut topic is it's because it's still pointing the finger and going, ha, that's different, right? Mm. But it comes down to the context of, ha, that's different, but I want to understand why. And I want to understand how I can work with it in order to improve the experience for both of us, as opposed to how that's different. I can't work with it at all. Yeah, there needs to be some sort of communication between the photographer and the model. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Especially if, if, well, in this case, Simone Biles has come from a sporting background. You know, she's, I don't know whether she's interested in photography, but, you know, there needs to be some sort of communication Mm. between them. But um, I'd, I'd just like to, it's funny you should mention the sort of context of Annie Leibovitz's images because, um, it, I I recently found out when uh, that the Vanity Fair photo of Viola Davis and uh, taken by Dario Calamessi. Calamessi. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Uh, well, we'll go with that for now. But it's genius. It's so genius, Ben. I don't know whether you've got, if you've got the Viola Davis um, uh, photo can, up. Yeah. I'd get the, get it up. I just, I just want to get like your reaction to this because before I say anything, mm. you got it up. Yeah, 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 I got it up. Now get uh, the picture of it, I think I I type in eighteen sixty three photo of Gordon Slave. Ah, now context. The I I I am like it's I'm speechless. I, I love stuff like this. And it's completely gone under the radar for me because I don't know the other image of... Um, well, I'll, I'll explain what it is. The image of Viola Davis is a, re- a recreation of an 1863 photo of Gordon, who is otherwise known as Whipped Peter. He was an African-American who escaped from a Louisiana plantation in March 1863. He became the subject of photographs that documented the scarring on his back from whippings he'd received in slavery. I'm going to butcher this word, but abolitionists people that wanted abolitionists yeah people that wanted to abolish slavery then distributed these pictures of him uh throughout the united states and internationally to show the abuses of slavery that is context and it's absolutely genius i love it i just want to see what you uh 
what you make of this. Yes. This is what people needed. Now, so for those that are listening and not talking, uh, this, this is a um, tweet which is comparing one of the uh, Vogue pictures of uh, Simone with um, a black Madonna picture which is taken in the 13th, uh, sorry, painting which is created in the 13th and 14th century which is uh, depicting uh, black people as uh, angels, uh, biblical, divine uh, beings. Um, And again, it completely changes and completely alters the context of the photograph for that. Uh, and all of a sudden, it when you compare those two images, it makes uh, the photo, it, you see the photo in a completely different way. Now, the reason that this didn't work is because in no way or in no at no point did Leibovitz or Biles turn around and say, this is what we are trying to recreate with this shot. Um, it's left completely up to interpretation and this tweet uh, only got retweeted 27 times and it is, you know, just a, a fan of the, um, of, 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 of Leibovitz who came across that. So again, it sort of adds to the whole narrative, which is that context is very, very important. Um, I like the Anchor Fair stuff. Anchor Fair, sorry, uh, the, the Vanity Fair stuff. Um, I think, yep, yeah, it works. Uh, it works very well. However, does it work as well if you remove that context? You know, uh, and this this is the big thing: is that at the end of the day, if you're working in editorial, if you're working in um, landscape photography, if you're doing portraiture, if you're a wedding photographer, everything that you create needs to have some kind of verbal narrative alongside it. Uh, and, and actually, coming onto that, this is the final sort of point that I did skim over, which I do want to make, which is, at the end of the day, Leibovitz, even though she was the photographer, she was working to a brief. Yeah. And as was Biles. And it was the editors at the magazine that had a vision for this and they knew what they wanted to put in. And again, I don't want to, you know, pass blame or this or that or the other, but we do need to at least entertain the possibility that Leibovitz went, these photos are shit. I don't want you to use them. And the editor just went, sorry, we're out of time or no, this is what I want. And it went from there. Okay. So this is the thing. And without, again, without that context of Leibovitz saying, oh yeah, this is what I wanted to happen and didn't, or Leibovitz saying, this is the narrative that I wanted to create. And actually, oh, I created it really successfully. You know, she might be playing 4D chess while we're playing tic-tac-toe, you know, you just don't know. (laughs) But that is why that context is so important. Yeah. So my conclusion for this is... Ultimately, I can sympathise for Leibovitz and I can sympathise for Biles as well. I think that they were both definitely given a bad rap with that. And I have actually seen quite a few people attacking uh, Simone for really? this. Yeah. Um, 
and saying, oh, this isn't how black people should be represented. This isn't, you know, we should be seen as feminine. You're playing, you're buying into the stereotype. And you're thinking, well, it's like, well, A, she's an athlete and she's spent 10 years to turn her body into this machine of peak performance. You know, if I did that, then I'd want to show it off. And secondly, she was a model. She probably didn't have all that much say in how she was represented no. because she's the model in this. Which is why um, you need that communication between the photographer yeah. and the model. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, so, and I can sympathize for Leibovitz that perhaps this didn't go exactly how it was according to plan, but I think it's very unfair to attack somebody of her stature mm. of saying oh you don't understand how to like black people because that is simply you know if, if she turned around and she tweeted or issued a statement saying yeah you're right i had no idea i would be absolutely flabbergasted and i would lose a huge amount of respect not just for her but for the industry in general mm. um but it it shows how important narrative is mm. and it shows how important it is to break those boundaries down and at the moment i think it is just a case of the fact that the world isn't quite ready for um those boundaries to be broken down without an explanation and it doesn't right. have to be a long explanation but it it could just be a couple of sentences right. just like that tweet I, yeah I don't think this should be seen as an awful thing. I think that, no. you know, a mistake was made. We should learn from that. And we just need to work out and, how to do it better yeah, next time. Yeah, I think that, well, especially Vogue will sort of def hopefully learn from it. Um, I think that people that don't have an understanding have quickly, you know, turned to judge. and um, Like you did. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I, I didn't see that tweet. If I'd had that tweet, I would have been like, oh, well, actually, that's a really good representation. But I but didn't that have tweet, that tweet. But why should why has that tweet changed anything for you? This isn't cons this isn't Leibovitz's Twitter account. This isn't Simone Biles' Twitter account. This is somebody because, who has seen that image and drawn a comparison. This is fan fiction. Yeah, because I've seen it as sort of technically a, a not very well lit image or a not very well edited or whatever image. And I've, I've sort of wrongly judged it for that. But if I'd had that context. But, the con that, but you're not understanding my point. That is pure... Yeah, that might, that might not be the context. We don't know. So I don't understand why that changes it in any way. So if Leibovitz turned around and said it was nothing to do with the Black Madonna, how would you feel about that now? Okay, then I think it was a technically poor photo. Right. I'm not quite following your logic here, but... You well, know... at the minute, I, I, I tell you what, I would like to believe that that was what she was going for. And that's why I'm looking on that. Because that's what I'd like to... I, You know, I, I mentioned earlier that Leibovitz is very conceptual in her work. And I had no idea who this Black Madonna was or the painting was. And so that has 
you know, I I wouldn't expect Annie Leibovitz to produce this work without having a conceptual thing around it. But you don't. But because I've now pointed you to one of many hundreds of potential opportunities for that concept, you're happy and satisfied with that. And before that, you were just like, "Oh, it's a bad photo. There must been no concept behind it whatsoever." No, I didn't. I didn't say that. I said Annie Leibovitz tends to use concept in her work, and I just said thought that if there wasn't any concept, it was quite. It was a lazy. It looked like a bit of a lazy image. But now that context has, or not context, or whatever. Now you've shown that to me. I'm sort of believing that Annie Leibovitz has done what she always does. And produces a contextual photograph. Right. Okay. Do you get me? I'm making sense. No, in my I, head. I, 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 I don't. I completely do not understand your logic whatsoever. But I'm maybe that's just me being dumb. Um. But yeah, well, let's 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 uh, put a pin in that and, and 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 move on. Is there anything else that you want to add about this story? Any other closing thoughts? brilliant well on that note uh i think we'll call it a day there uh do feel free to get involved with the photo conversation the word this week is faithful and the deadline for that is going to be in a fortnight uh how did you react to the fact that olympus has fallen uh how did you react to uh annie Leibovitz? can you explain to me what jack was talking about when he was talking about the context of the work because i'm still completely at a loss uh please do let us know in various comment sections and stuff like that uh the other thing that i should say as well is that if you are listening on apple podcasts uh do give us a rating um it does actually help out a significant amount or so i'm told um so please feel free to do that and if you're listening on youtube then please give us a like and a subscribe and you can hear when uh, more work does come out as well. The other thing that I should mention to anybody that are listening on podcast channels is that we don't just do podcasts. We are men of many talents and occasionally we'll do shorter form youtube style videos as well. So again, please do feel free to head over to the Mediocre Photography Show YouTube channel to check us out. With that being said... If people liked Jack's photographs and want to see more nudie photos of him, where can they find those? That'll be at Jack Henderson Photo. Or Pornhub. <laughs> uh, and Ben, if they liked your image, images, and wanted to see more by you, where can they find you? Uh, well, you can find me at a Ben Bullman photo. And uh, if you liked the show and want to see some behind-the-scenes bloopers outtakes general conversation and be notified of when new photos do come up where can they find that that'd be at the mediocre photo fantastic well with that being said enjoy the rest of your uh week weekend and we'll see you in the next episode tatty bye cheers nice